This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Pre-recorded from Joe's mom's basement, welcome to a Wednesday Rewind episode of The Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey everyone, I'm Griffin the Intern, or like the pizza guy who knows me way too well calls me, The Fintern. Alright, I know what you're expecting. What did the guys do to mess with Griffin this time? And the answer to your question? Surprisingly, nothing. Everything is all cleaned up, there's no gum stuck to the seat, no popcorn in the keyboard, no hidden flash drives to find, and the guys even left me a list of shows I could pick from. Now I know how the saying goes, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, but I can't shake the feeling that this is all just temporary. Maybe they'll want me to work two weeks in a row. I can't be sure, which is why I just had to pick this show out of a list. Stacking Benjamins, episode 23, preparing for when things go wrong. Because what better time to prepare for things going wrong than when they're going way too right? I think that's some good advice that applies to working in the basement and your money. And remember, this episode came out years ago, so you should probably avoid taking any investment advice or calling in to win a giveaway. And by the way, Joe will announce this, but if there are any kids in the room, you might want to listen to Doug's open alone and then let them listen in. There are no bad words, but only because Joe's mom had the decency to tell Steve to bleep them out. I warned you, Finn turn out. Welcome to episode 23 of the Stacking Benjamins podcast. Hey, thanks to everybody for the notes about our new Friday short stack show. You're too kind. It was a great opening week this last week. Uh, I have a little something special for you here. It, by the way, might not be good for the speakers in your car if there's kitties riding along, but it's special nonetheless. You know how you listen to a podcast and you think you're getting to know the personalities? You think you really know who the people are? I get so many compliments about my mom's neighbor, Doug, and the work he does on the show, just how great he is. Uh, And it kind of makes my eyes roll because you people have no idea. I I don't want to bash him because he's an important part of our cast, but you've got to hear what really happens in the basement. So uh, I did this. He'll probably be mad about it. But this week I kept a tape running while I was between takes. And this is the kind of stuff we really put up with here in the basement. Let's let's have a listen. Let's let's do that again, and uh, let's try to make it a little more upbeat, all right? Are you f***ing kidding me? I mean, are you f***ing kidding me? How many damn takes do you scratchers need to finish a two-bit podcast with 17 listeners? More people listen to me sing in the f***ing shower than to this piece of show. And oh my f***ing God, if OG doesn't pull that mic out of his pronto this will be the last time joe's mom's neighbor doug will be here to boost the ridiculous freaking ratings i am out of here like a fat kid playing dodgeball 
big boy pants on. Stop. We don't, we don't do this. You can't let me, man. Stop it. This is how you conduct yourself in a democracy. What the hell are you doing, man? I'm so tired of you getting angry and yelling all the time. It's exhausting. I feel like I'm partners with the Hulk. Live from my parents' basement, this is The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe on our blog, and with my partner in crime, the other guy, we operate the Super Seeker podcast about earning, saving, and spending with a plan. You'll find notes for the show at stackingbenjamins.com. Send all emails with questions or comments to joe at stackingbenjamins.com. And here he is, the other guy who has to put up with the abuse of our cast of characters on a daily basis. It is Mr. O.G., Full-time abuse. Man, I think... That is correct, sir. I I think my mom's neighbor, Doug, has gone too far. Too far. Just a smidge. Yeah. But you know what we're going to do? You and I are only going to have to pay 40 uh, 50%. What's happening? (laughs) We're only going to have to pay 50% of a hotel stay that we can send uh, Doug to. It's great because we get him out of the house and we only pay half the price that the normal person pays who pays full price by going to the hotel's uh, main, you know, their main portal on the Internet. And all the yelling and screaming he can do, he can do at the hotel. He can to the hotel manager. And I bet he can bring it to them. (laughs) Sounds like he can. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash hotels. Hook Doug up with a nice little vacay away from the show until we need to begin next week. Do you watch the show Modern Family? I do not, but they won a ton of Emmys again. It's oh, very funny. Again. In any event, I heard a preview for one of their shows. It's uh, one that's already been pa- passed. They were talking about it being syndicated. In any event, uh, uh, there's a line where the one husband says to the wife, I thought you could enjoy a nice night at the hotel. And she says, oh, I would love that, but what would you and the kids do? <laughs> We've all had those days. I'm sure Cheryl's had those days. Uh, we've got a great day, though, for our listeners. A great start of the week because if you're listening to this on Monday when it comes out, if you're listening to it on Thursday, great end of your week, you know, yeah, whatever, whatever time it may be. Jane Blaufus is on the show, OG. She is a financial expert uh, from Ontario, from a town nearby uh, Hamilton, Ontario. Okay. But she is actually in big time expert on insurances. Here's the thing. She'd worked in the insurance industry for quite a while when she had a very traumatic event. I'll let her tell the story, but I got to tell you, this is an important show because as you know, when you sit down with someone to talk about their financial plan, and I remember what I used to know, the second you begin talking about making sure your bases are covered, the eye roll would begin, right? Oh yeah. Client would sit back, want to fall asleep. I remember- That happened to me. The big company I used to work with, they had uh, seminars, and I would give these seminars. And in their script, they talked about an engineering story, which I always thought was great about the way an engineer approaches building a highway. And that is, they look at everything that could go wrong, and they try to eliminate, an engineer will try to eliminate all of those possibilities, and only once they've done them do they start building. Before you get to the fun, sexy stuff of building your portfolio, I think a good listen to Jane today will set you moving on the right direction. Great. Yeah, we got that. We got a great roundtable today. We got, we're going to be giving something away. Well, not giving it away yet, but we're going to give people a chance to enter our contest for Natalie Sisson's book, and let's move.
Well, as you know, OG, I scour the internet looking for all kinds of places to find interesting topics for the show. And I scour the internet for cat videos. <laughs> we all have our jobs. One area that I look at. <laughs> Great segue, OG. Pause. Awesome. How do I get back from cat videos? How do I bring the show back? Uh, one place, a lot of places that I look are places that advisors go because, as you know, the, the things that advisors look at and the things that the consumer media looks at are often two totally different things. And I think some of the things that advisors look at are really good for the average consumer. Let's start here. Here is a, a, a piece we'll link to in the show notes at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash 23. Listen to this. Bellwether Pension Fund CalPERS is looking at going passive with their investments. So CalPERS is, if they are not the biggest OG pension fund in the, in the nation, they, they, they I think gotta, they are. They got to be the biggest. Retirement industry is closely watching $260 billion Bellwether Pension Fund already has 35% of its assets in passive funds like ETFs, that type of thing. I'm sure they're not using the same ones you and I are. Anyway, they're talking about going even more passive. Passiver-er. Passiver-er. I thought this was interesting for you and I to talk about because a lot of what I've read over the summer is that if places like CalPERS go passive, we have all the big boys going passive does this mean that there is going to be more opportunities for active investments in the future? Or does this mean less opportunities for active investors in the future? Because some people think that as the big boys go passive, it brings up these great arbitrage situations that a active investor might be able to get their teeth into a little easier than when the big boys are active. Well, I guess it depends on what you believe. I believe that most investment return comes from behavior and avoiding stupid behavior. I think that the closer you get to large company type investments, your S&P 500 type fund, there's really not a lot of opportunity for that quote unquote arbitrage that you, that you said. And so using an ETF or using some passive investments for larger cap investments, larger company style investments is probably fine. We do it all the time. Smaller company investments where there's much more return driven on research and things like that. I think that there's a little bit more opportunity but historically, nobody can accurately predict the market and nobody, not, not any fund manager is going to accurately outpace the market on any given year f for forever. The way that investors make their money is on their behavior, though. So you find a good investment, active or passive, whatever is your pleasure, and you just don't change it. You just let it go. Yeah, historically, what's funny is you look at returns on some of these funds, active and passive, and then I believe this is a while ago now. This might have been six or seven years that Charles Schwab, I think, went in and dug into their investor returns. The researchers do it, but, right. but nobody was identified. What they showed was the funds that people were in did far better than the investor did because the investor always made a move at the wrong time. That's Dalbar's study. They do it every single year. It's called the Quantitative Investor Behavior Study or whatever it is. They've done it for 25 years, and that's the same thing. Is that what it's called, the Dalbar study or whatever it is? The study or whatever it is. Yeah, there's a lot of hyphens. They have that right on the back end. Uh, some other news also. These, these stories are all from NAPA, uh, National Association of Plan Advisors. I like NAPA. That's which, where we get all that wine from, right? Which, <laughs> this is a, th these guys are far more boring. This is a different NAPA? This is unfortunately the boring end. Yeah. FINRA. 
the financial regulation agency. FINRA has approved a proposal requiring brokers to disclose recruitment compensation paid to them as incentive to move to a new firm. As you and I have known, kind of the dirty secret that I think a lot of investors don't know is when your broker moves from firm A to firm B, there is often a ton, a ton of money tied to that move. And, and, you know, I mean, maybe maybe it's the right move to make. We can talk about that. Maybe it's not. But do you think that having to disclose a recruitment bonus is a good thing? I do not. Uh, why is that? Oh, crap. Follow-up question. Um, <laughs> Isn't that I was annoying? prepared on the first one. <laughs> I knew the answer to that one. No. I, I don't think it's any it's anybody's business. Clients have the ability to decide whether or not they want to move from Merrill Lynch to Morgan Stanley, if their broker moves from those places, you know, moves from Merrill to Morgan, the client's independent. They get to make their own decisions on that. It shouldn't be swayed whether or not the broker got a a bonus to do it. People move their jobs all the time for bonuses. My wife, well, I told her for years she was underpaid. And then finally I said, well, just go check the market a little bit. She applied for a job in a similar field at a competing company, and they raised her salary almost 25%. They didn't even ask. They just said, well, we would pay you this. We don't know what you're making, but this is what you would make here. And it was 25% more. So, I mean... But just to play devil's advocate here, your wife moving from job A to job B doesn't affect a bunch of people who might end up paying surrender charges, might end up paying taxes, just to follow an advisor from part A to part B. And if the client knows that there's a $100,000 bonus tied to this money if uh, the advisor can bring it over. I mean, don't you think that the the client should understand that that might be? Well, I would hope that the advisor would not have his clients incur taxes or penalties to move the money without having some sort of logical rationale. I mean, that would be no different than you know, you having, you know, me meeting with a client who's an advi- client of another advisor already, oh. and maybe they're disinterested. Clearly. And I say, well, hey, why don't you move the money over here? I would assume that I've disclosed that it might cost them some money or whatever. Don't get me wrong, OG. You and I would make sure that our clients were, were taken care of in any move, and we would only move assets if it actually made sense to our client. But you and I have also worked in this business long enough to know there's advisors that aren't nearly that scrupulous. Well, there's Subway sandwich makers who spin your food too. So, I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. No, let's let's move on because it looks like that may also become law. A, a, a side note on that. So basically, I should move. A lot of times real quick, so I don't have to. <laughs> yeah, do it, do it fast, OG, with your practice, like yeah. five times. Here we go. Yeah. Saddle up, fellas. Time to move. Just at the bottom of this article, FINRA, you know how they revealed this information? They revealed it via Twitter. And I love what the author, Fred uh, uh, Barstein, says here. Turns out that's FINRA. irony. Yeah, that's what they say. He says, <laughs> turns out FINRA has been an early adopter of social media. Go figure. Uh, yeah. I, uh, the last thing, and I want to get your take on this too. A think tank proposes to scrap the current employer-based retirement system. So you know the 401k system? Mm-hmm. This think tank issued a deeply critical report on August 20th talking about how companies don't, number one, educate people on it, even though uh, they're supposed to. Current requirements say that they have to, absolutely. Number two is participation is incredibly low, and studies have shown that the poorer somebody is, the less they contribute, um, even though it's in their own good to contribute more. Also, people don't understand the tax ramifications of contributing pre tax versus after tax. So, what this think tank says 
is that that should be scrapped. And instead, the United States should go to a mandatory participation where uh, money's taken out of people's paychecks and uh, employees are allowed to opt out if they choose. However, opt out is not the first thing you're automatically in unless you fill out this paperwork saying that you opt out. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, and this is where my groan started, the money generated from these automatic payroll deductions will be funneled to, quote, nonprofit organizations run by independent boards that would, quote, professionally invest the proceeds. And immediately then I went, oh. <laughs> the first half sounded a lot like Social Security, and that's worked out very well. Except for the fact that the government except for it has it. Yeah, except for, so. except for the fact that we can't keep our hands out of the cookie jar. Yeah. You, you know, what's interesting, OG, no though. No interest in talking about that. That's yeah. disgusting. Yeah, is that when you look at the system they're talking about, I know this has worked in Singapore. Singapore is one of the most uh, wealthy, the average person in Singapore. It's one of the wealthiest countries on earth, and people are required to put a percentage of their paycheck into savings. And because of that, everybody has savings. And it now has become a culture of savings. And what do we have in the United States? We don't give people many incentives for saving. What do we do? We give them incentives to go into debt, right? (laughs) We give them a tax deduction for taking out debt. And it's a bigger tax deduction if it's bigger. So take on more debt, spend more money. We, We want people to spend every single dollar. So what do you think? Good idea, bad idea? Ah, it's terrible. You can't legislate away personal responsibility. Yeah. You know, if you can't motivate yourself to save money for your retirement, it's the government telling you to do it, that's not going to help. And then all that ends up happening, right, is it ends up being the lowest common denominator problem. That's funny. I hate it when we agree because although I love, I love the outcome of Singapore, I don't like being told that I have to. Yeah. America. <laughs> <laughs> All right, she's upstairs, OG. Jane Blaufus. Better wrestle her away from mom before mom starts yapping her ear off. Well, Your mom, not mine. <laughs> My mom. Well, well, she could bore her to death, too, she, I suppose. She but she's really not been invited here before. That, when Joe was, it, it, that would be hilarious. We should bring my mom on. Oh. That would be an entire hour of comedy. Put them in the cage together. The moms? The cage match that we yeah. talked about with the, you know, coin flip and death. Well, I would do it, but I just wouldn't tell her that we're recording it. I would. Just, we should just call my mom on the air, and we'll just have a conversation with her. You'll be blown away. We should get back to the topic. Jane Blaufus is here. Jane Blaufus, author of With the Stroke of a Pen, Claim Your Life. Talking about being prepared. Let's welcome her to the basement. Well, death is a difficult topic to discuss, which is pretty ironic because we all know that it's going to happen to us all one day, right? We just don't know where and when. And that's why I asked Jane Blaufus to join us in the basement this morning. Jane's a financial expert and author of With the Stroke of a Pen, Claim Your Life. She has a most remarkable story, lives and works in Ancaster, Ontario, which is just outside Hamilton, about midway between Toronto and Buffalo. Jane, welcome to the basement. Good morning, Joe. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's pull up a beanbag chair and get started, huh? Okay. All right. Well, you have quite a story that spurred your attention to some financial details. Tell us what happened in your your 30s that kind of changed everything for you. Well, I had been in the financial services industry for about 16 years when my 39-year-old husband 
kissed my 12 and a half year old daughter and myself goodbye one morning, went out the door. And later that afternoon, a police officer walked up my driveway to tell me that he had been killed in an accident that morning. So life as I knew it uh, just totally turned upside down. And I was felt like I was standing on my head. Wow. People always tell me that they know what they'll do in disaster strikes. I'm sure that that that's uh, not really true, is it? Well, I foolishly thought because I was in the financial service in- industry, especially in life insurance, that if anything ever happened to me, oh, I'd be able to take care of it. No prob. Well, uh, it's very different when it happens to you. So I I was blindsided by a lot of stuff. So often, Jane, people tell me, well, I'm going to feel this way. I'm going to do these things. I have all these things. And I always think that those are kind of a lie just because we don't know. Uh, tell me what it's what it's really like in that moment and all of your financial details that you were sharing with someone else is now all squarely on your shoulders. You have no idea how you're going to react. Anybody who thinks they're prepared for it, walk a mile in my shoes and then tell me afterwards how you feel because I felt like an 18-wheeler truck had hit me. The force that slammed into my body after I came to hear those words and to, you know, I the police officer asked to go in my house and I said, no, where's my husband? And he asked me again if we could go inside. And, you know, Joe, I had this crazy notion that if I didn't let this man in my house, he wouldn't tell me what I knew he was about to tell me. And they told me afterwards they heard my screams for miles. I collapsed in the driveway. They took me in the house. And I just, like, the the pain was excruciating, literally excruciating. I ended up on my living room floor screaming at the top of my lungs, and I couldn't stop myself. The pain was almost unbearable. How did you then begin claiming your life? Well, one step at a time, I finally got myself up off the floor. And it's kind of weird because... Even in the middle of everything that was going on, the right side of my, like the logical side of my brain kicked in and I started to go, okay, so I have to make phone calls. I have to do certain things. I, my daughter had, was in another province. I had put her on a plane that morning. I, I had to get her back home. I had to do all of these crazy things. And God bless my girlfriend's husband because he came to my rescue and was by my side and my life insurance advisor was there shortly after because that was the second call I made that day. I knew everything that went on in our house financially because I was in the business, but I wasn't my own advisor. I had an advisor. So I called him because I was so terrified. I've never been so scared in my life. I just wanted him to tell me it was going to be okay. And I needed that reassurance. So all the financial planning that we had put in place before, thank God, the year before he died, we had had our wills reviewed. We had increased our life insurance coverage. We always sat down every year with our life insurance advisor and had an annual review because you've got to make sure that your your plans that are in place are good for today, not what you might have planned five or ten years ago because things change over time. So everything we had put in place in case, God forbid, something happened now had to be triggered. And I like the thing was my parents stayed with me for three months after my husband died. And I was incapable of telling my mother when she asked me if I wanted peas for car- or carrots with dinner, which one I preferred. I was in such a mental fog that I couldn't even make those minute decisions. And here I am in a situation where I have to trigger the most monumental financial decisions of my entire adult lifetime. And I can hardly decide what I want for dinner. 
I, I, you're right. I can't, I just, I can't imagine, you know, you spend a lot of time talking to advisors and you talked about how your life insurance advisor, you wanted them to just say, everything's okay. But I found in my 16 years as an advisor that many advisors kind of get it wrong because they're so analytical about insurance and consumers are so emotional. How do advisors kind of bridge that gap? Well, first of all, after my husband died, nobody ever asked me what the internal rate of return was on his life insurance policy. <laughs> the only thing they asked me is, will you guys be okay? So advisors have to realize, especially, Joe, when they're dealing with women, is you better have a trust relationship built with the person. Because basically, I gave my entire decision-making capabilities up to my advisor because I trusted him. I knew that he had my best interests at heart. I knew that he would not do anything but take care of me. He calls my daughter Jane Jr. He's part of my family now. Without that man, I don't know how I would have done it. So it's advisors really need to go beyond the numbers and get to know their clients, their families, and build a relationship so that if, God forbid, I always say, Joe, the hard part for an advisor is not getting the sale. The hard part is when they have to deliver on what they promised they would do. What what are some of those things that you do in that annual meeting with your advisor? Because I think that's a foreign concept to most of the people listening to the show. Okay, so that's that's a really good question. So as I mentioned earlier, you can't buy life insurance or put financial plans in place and stick them in a drawer and check them 10 years later because things change. So you need to sit down and you need to have a, a, what's called a like sort of like a fact finding. What's still the same? What's changed? What's different? Because you could have bought a bigger house. You could have had a second child. One of you could have been decided to stay home to take care of the kids. So the second income isn't coming in anymore. Or you might be in a situation where a lot of young people are today where their elderly parents are moving back in with them or their kids are moving back in with them. So life has a way of changing over time. It never stays stagnant. So it's it's sitting down and taking a look and making sure is the amount of life insurance or all of the plans, the, do I have critical illness in place? Do I have disability insurance if I need it? All these sort of things need to be talked about. Now, you may might not need all of them, but at least your review should confirm that you're still in a good place. Well, and I think it also confirms, because I know companies change their benefits, you know, all the time. So it confirms that your stuff that you have uh, outside of work meshes well with the stuff that's inside work. I think that's probably a big part of the of the job, too. I think that's a great point, because the one thing that I found in my years as an advisor was I couldn't believe how many people, when you asked them if they had life insurance, said, yes, I do. And then you ask the next question, is it personal or is it group insurance? And nine times, eight times out of 10, it was group insurance. You don't own that insurance. Because just as you said, the, your your employer can at any time decide to change the plan, get rid of the plan, do away with it. You have no control over it. Uh, ironically, my husband died on July the 11th. July the 1st was my annual renewal for my group insurance policy, and I had just increased his life insurance. It was actually still being underwritten the day he died because his income had gone up. We had you know, bigger expenses. We had a daughter in a, in a different school system. So you really have to make sure that there's a bridge between what you have at work and what you have personally because the other thing, too, is, Joe, tell me how many people spend their entire careers today with one employer. They don't. <laughs> Nobody. People, 
you know, if you if you make it five years now, you should get the gold watch. So and a lot of people are stepping out of corporate, as I did, into an entrepreneur environment. I'm an entrepreneur. I don't have benefits unless I own them personally. And the one thing that buys all of these things that people don't get is it's not money that buys insurance products. It's your good health. If you don't have good health, then you're either going to be denied you might be rated, which means you pay a higher premium than other people would. So there's a whole bunch of factors in here. And the time to need and like the time to buy life insurance is not when you need it. That's, right. It's too late. Right. My my father-in-law, who was one of my best friends before he passed away, did not want to talk about long term care insurance until the day he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And on that day, he called me and said, hey, Joe, you know how we talked about long term care? Can I get it now? <laughs> what do you think? Well, well, you know what? I have a very some very good friends who uh, had my book. The book has a thirty-page checklist in the back of it to help people to put all of these, make all these decisions, ask all these questions, and put things in place. They had sat down with their adult daughter who was back from England on a visit, and they were going through the book and saying, "Okay, we need to talk about this, this, and this." The long and short of it is, as a result of that review, they applied for life insurance on both of them. While it was in underwriting, he was diagnosed with cancer of the esophagus. He is now in advanced stage four cancer. And I spent Sunday talking to my girlfriend about palliative care doctors. Mm. And he, his life, he, they, they managed to get him some life insurance, but it was highly rated. And if he passes away within the first two years, all they do is refund the premiums. I don't think he's going to make it because yeah. he only got the insurance in December. Yeah. So here I am now giving her palliative care doctor information and contacts for hospices and whatever. And she is going to find out what kind of government assistance she can get because she doesn't know how she's going to work while she's trying to take care of him. And she just, you know, she's got, she's got it all, but he has nothing. Speaking of catastrophic illnesses, is long-term care the type of insurance that worries you the most because people ignore that one the most because it's just so expensive no matter what you do? Um, I, there's two that worry me. Well, actually, they all worry me, <laughs> but they do because life insurance has its place. Critical illness has its place and long term care is going to definitely have its place. I think due to the fact that medical marvels, wonderful, but people are living longer. And what's happening is people are outliving their retirement savings. They're outliving the money that they have. And they're thinking, oh, you know, no problem. If anything happens, the government will take care of me. Well, no. In Canada right now, it costs close to four to $5,000 a month for long-term care. Yeah. You know, people, they're just not getting it. And, and we've got to start talking about this more because right now in Canada, every day, Almost 1,500 boomers are turning 65, and this will continue until, I don't know, I can't remember the exact date, but well into another decade from now. They're turning even twice as much as that in the U.S. Like the sandwich generation and the issues with that is becoming catastrophic because parents are moving back in with their kids. Kids are becoming caregivers to their elderly parents. They're becoming, they're st they've still got kids that are, they've got in school that they have to get through university. The financial toll on people is incredible, absolutely incredible. And if my girlfriend's husband, the one that I'm talking to about palliative care, had critical illness, she wouldn't 
wouldn't be asking for government assistance. She would have tax-free dollars that she could have put in her bank account to remove the the financial stress she is under in addition to knowing that her husband isn't probably going to make it is absolutely wearing her out. And she's a therapist. Well, and, and the issue for me, Jane, isn't just that she has enough money. Well, it is that she has enough money to live on because he may end up, let's say that he needs in-home health care. He may go through every dime that they have. And let's say she lives another 30 years, you know, yep. and now what does she live on? Because taking care of him just costs them everything. Well, the, the type of cancer that he has, good point, because the type of cancer that he has, they gave him extremely aggressive radiation to stop him from being paralyzed. Mm. And her question to me was, I don't know if we can continue to live here if he ends up in a wheelchair. How do I, what do I do? So there's so many things people don't think about. But again, um, you're right. She's, she's going to eat up what, she's the main breadwinner in the family. Yeah. So if she can't work because she's taking care of him, who, it's not going to come in from anywhere else. We're, we're talking about morbid topics here, but I, wa- I want to talk about your book because while your book covers some morbid topics that are going to happen to all of us, it's really an inspiring story. Tell us about the book. The book came out of five years of somebody knocking on the top of my head, and I'm looking upwards as I say that, and I finally figured out what God was trying to tell me. But I didn't want to just write a motivational book, because back to your comment at the very beginning, people are scared to death about talking about death. Two things in life are certain, death and taxes. If they don't tax you to death before you go, they'll ta- you'll, you'll get taxed afterwards. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to empower people. I wanted to equip people with knowledge, education, questions to take that big financial planning elephant that's in the middle of a room. Men put a blue blanket on it. Women put a pink blanket on it and hope it will go away. But it doesn't. The fastest way to get stragglers at a cocktail or dinner party to go home is don't yell fire. Just bring up death. They're gone. They're out the door. So this is not something people usually sit around and talk about. So the book is a way, it's a tool to help people. We shared our stories in hopes that it will help one family never to have to go through some of the things we went through. Well, And how do people get it? They can get it t- directly from my website, www.janebloffus, and that's B L. A-U-F-U-S dot com. It's also on Amazon dot C-A, and it's also on Kindle. Okay. Is it on Amazon, uh, the USA version? No, no, it isn't. It's on the Canadian version. Well, we got to smuggle you across the border, Jane. Okay. (laughs) You know what I'll do? I'll link to your uh, book page on our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com slash 23 also so that people can get it there. And I know that you're going to help us out in October because one of our listeners who can guess the voice in October is going to win your book also. So thanks for doing that. Uh, If you had one piece of advice for somebody just starting out in life, just beginning and everything is happy and wonderful, what would you, what piece of advice would you give them? I'll go back to the comment I made earlier, good health buys life insurance. You're not good. You may not be, think you're going to die tomorrow. You may not think that, you know, you're going to become critically ill or all of those things. But if you want to be in control of your money and your future, instead of it being in control of you, find a financial advisor, build a relationship and start to build your financial portfolio. So you are in control and not the rest of the world. Let's get this over with. And here for this week's trivia, it's Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. In general, 
If interest rates rise, what happens to bond prices? I'll have the answer later in the show. Hey, I got an idea, OG. I bet you want to give something away. I really want to give something away. And if you're listening to this on the last day of September, the day that this comes out, guess what? You have a chance to win Natalie Sisson's book, uh, The Suitcase Entrepreneur. If you're listening to this the day after it comes out, you missed the deadline. So we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. If you want to know more about Natalie Sisson's book, um, go to our last episode, episode 22. We'll talk about it. But there's three ways to enter. And you can do this with our new October contest, which will start as of the next episode. Three ways to enter. First way is tweet about this show. The second way is to like us on Facebook. For both of those ways, OG, go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash September, where you tell us that you did those things. And then the third way and the best way, just go back and listen to the August episodes and tell us who this voice is. When people see me now, you know, they'll see, oh, you're a certified financial planner. You got your financial planning practice. You're a blogger. You do all this stuff. You know, what they don't know about me is that once I graduated high school, I, you know, I dropped out of college and was literally going nowhere in my life. Uh, my mom got me a job doing data entry for her her place, and I was doing data entry eight hours a day and loving life. <laughs> Just kidding. And I think that's a really easy one from the month of August. The problem is me too. It's not easy for it's not easy for OG because he doesn't get to hear the voice. So who do you think that is, OG? Yeah, this one. It's Macaulay Culkin. Oh, it's so close. If Macaulay Culkin were a little older, uh, it might be How old Macaulay Culkin. do you think Macaulay Culkin, Culkin is? Uh, what? Uh, yeah, you're right. It might be the same same age as Macaulay Culkin. Here's, here's, here's an interesting tidbit. In 2015, we'll be as far removed from 1985 when Back to the Future was as Back to the Future was from 19, 1955. We'll be separated by that far. We're recording this uh, in the morning at 10:30 a.m. central time is it too early to open up my first beer that's that that's bad yep. news man i remember 1985 like it was yesterday i don't because i was well i wasn't quite old enough, i still but. wear clothes from 1985 i bet you do <laughs> <laughs> all right so if you know who that voice is and it's not macaulay Culkin, oh gee sorry go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash september and maybe on the next episode, we'll be able to hook you up with Natalie Sisson's book, The Suitcase Entrepreneur. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, here to put you out of your misery with the answer you've been seeking. Here's that question again. In general, if interest rates rise, what happens to bond prices? Well, they go up. That's what happens. Some people call it the teeter-totter effect and others call it the interest rate mud pit of love. I'm not judging, but that second one sucks. All right, all right. I gave you the answer. Now just move it along. Move it on down the road. I'll see you. Hasta la bye-bye. What are you waiting for? Get out of here. We'll see you next week. All right, everybody. Let's walk over to my dad, Shortwave, and see if we can get the greatest financial blogging minds in the universe. How's that for a superlative? On, the, on our broadcast... And from the great state of Georgia, it is Miss Paula Pant from Afford Anything. Have you noticed how the greatest financial minds of the universe are always from planet Earth? 
That is weird, isn't it? We really we have a monopoly on great financial minds on this planet. That is, if we think of all the great the great resources that the it, Earth has. I mean, I just feel bad for all the inhabitants of Neptune. I know they you never know? they never they never get any credit for all the great stuff that, I, that we are having the weirdest conversation. So how are <laughs> how are you, Paul? Are you still in the closet this week? I am. I'm. Uh, I'm gonna be in the closet every week. Excellent. Good. That's great. Do you, do you ever come out of the for closet? For those of you, for those of you who are wondering, I'm literally doing this taping from a closet. Uh, yeah. It's a walk-in closet, but it is a closet. It's nice. You have a pillow in there, maybe a couple beers. Um, I've got two cats in here with me, just to just to make me even crazier. <laughs> That's right. You're the Paula, the crazy cat lady in Atlanta. <laughs> And up the coast, we have in Boston, Massachusetts, the man, the myth, the legend. It is from Mom and Dad Money, Matt Becker. So I have to be honest, most of my investment knowledge comes to me from a source that communicates from Saturn. So not all of the great <laughs> investment minds are from planet Earth. Yeah, now you're, yeah, and you're sharing your secret only with this podcast, right? Exactly. You guys are the lucky few. Yeah. That's, and, and, and I think it is just a few. Is that correct? I, that's right. It's, it's my mom, my grandma. Right. <laughs> that's good, Matt. Matt a couple of cats. That's right. Matt steps up with the left jab after 10 seconds. <laughs> well, I'm glad you could be on the show. Tell everybody, because I love your site, tell everybody what mom and dad money is all about. Sure. So you know, my goal is to communicate uh, financial advice, particularly geared towards new parents um, kind of a position I'm in. I love talking about investing. It's one of the things I'm most passionate about. So I'm, I'm happy to be on here today to, to, to kind of get into that a little bit. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And, and I'm so glad you could be on. And we're going to link to your to your blog at the show notes at Stacking Benjamins. But let's get into it. Paula wrote an awesome piece from a couple weeks ago. We, we normally have stuff from like a, the last seven days. But you know what, Paula, this piece was so good that I had to circle way back. You wrote this on the 16th, and it's about investing. Tell us about it. Oh, Joe, what you mean is everything I've written in the last seven days is terrible. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would never say that, Paula. <laughs> you would think it. Would uh, no, okay, so this, this piece is about, well, I wrote it because a lot of people conceptualize investing to be something that's very risky and very aggressive. And, Arr! you know, I'm going to go drink some beer and eat some nachos and invest. Um, and then I'm going to deadlift 350 pounds. <laughs> that, that is what people do when they invest, right? Of course. That's what I do. I'm, I'm eating nachos right now. Right. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm deadlifting right now. <laughs> in, fact, I'm, in fact, I think I'm deadlifting this podcast. <laughs> uh, so I wrote this post about how investing should be approached as a Zen practice, something that's completely marked by the sense of detachment where you, before you make the investment, obviously you, you study, you read about it, you think about it, you, you come up with an investing philosophy and a plan. But then once you actually take that action and commit to what you're doing, you just let it go. And accept that you have no control over what's going to happen and let go of the outcome. And I advise people don't even think about it as real money. I mean, normally I tell people, you know, this is the opposite of what I normally tell people. Normally I tell people that when you're making a spending decision, think about how many hours of your life that item cost you. If you go out to dinner and pay $70 for like a fancy restaurant meal, how many hours did you have 
work after taxes to earn that money. With investing, it's the opposite. You have to completely let go of all of the work that you've put into that money and just let it out into the ether and detach. Yeah, and it sounds good in practice. I mean, in, in theory, but I think about risk in the portfolio, it, it's very difficult. You know, and I guess being Zen is pretty difficult. I mean, Matt, are you Zen at all about risk in your portfolio? Yeah, I mean, I, I I could not possibly agree more with this sentiment. You know, I think it is difficult, but the concept of what you can control and what you can't is so important to really understand. Carl Richards is a financial planner I'm sure you guys know of, and he does these sketches. And one of my favorites is this little Venn diagram where one circle is what you can control and one circle is what matters. And there's this small overlap, and that's where you focus. And the side the corollary to that is there's a lot that matters that you can't control. Um, and that's very true with, with investing. And it's, it can be difficult, but, but there's, no, there's not really much you can do about it. So you focus on, on the things you can control, you know, what you can uh, save, what you put in the stocks, what you put in the bonds, you put your costs and so forth. And then I agree, you just kind of have to let it go. And, yeah. and, and as Paula said, almost think about it as, as kind of just play a little bit and it just, it's just there and it exists, but you don't have to stress about it all the time. It sounds like being, when you talk, Paula, about being Zen about your investing decisions, that that means that you shouldn't, you know, open your statements and, and look at your, how your investments are doing. But I don't think that's what you're saying at all, is it? That's a tactic. If avoiding your statements is a tactic that helps you become more Zen, then sure, you can do that. But th there's a difference between that tactic versus the broader philosophy. And the broader philosophy is to shrug when your net worth rises and shrug when it falls. Uh, don't celebrate your gains and don't uh, feel sorrow over your losses. At the bottom of the piece, something I really want to go over, which is your ultra simple investing plan, three steps. Do you mind going over those? Sure. Uh, step one is the stuff that you can control. Earn more, save more, invest more. That's completely within your, your realm of control. Uh, step two, choose, and this is also within your realm of control, choose investments with risk levels that you find acceptable. So for myself personally, I'm not comfortable doing any kind of individual stock picking because I just, I don't know enough about it. I don't, really know how to read a balance sheet that well. I'm, I'm just not good at picking individual stocks. So I stick to passively managed index funds and passively managed ETFs. Um, and I also, I know a fair bit about rental property, so I invest in those as well. That's a risk level that I'm really comfortable with. On that note, I guess a question I have is, if you're going to be zen about it, is it okay to be zen about it if you don't know that much about it? It, it, it seems like what you're saying is, is, is implied is you really need to know how the investment works first. Uh, oh, I have no idea how index funds work. I just, I know that uh, if I put my money into something that somebody has created that's called an index fund, it will generally mirror the market and I will generally do about as well or as bad as the market does. I have no idea how it actually works. I think there's, you know, I think there's uh, probably different levels of, of understanding that you can come to and be okay. I mean, I think that the, the kind of facts are that that this approach that Paul is advocating, uh, you know, using index funds really is kind of the best strategy in, in terms of probability. If you can be okay with doing that and not really understanding it, then then I think that's 
that's that's fine. I, I do think that there are people who, if they don't understand it, will be more, more inclined to panic at the wrong times. So I, I think it kind of depends on your personality and, and how you're going to react to the good times and the bad times. Both of those are times when people kind of make bad decisions when they don't really know what their what their plan is and what their investments are how and how they help them towards that plan. Yeah, because sometimes it isn't about the investments, it's about you. I mean, I think of my 16 years in the trenches and a lot of times the investments were right. My clients understood how they worked, but they still felt they still they couldn't help not being zen. You know, they were just such worriers at heart. When do you, are there times when you say people shouldn't be invested or they should uh, back away from the table? I mean, how do you teach somebody, Paula, to, to get this nature? I think that goes back to step two. Before you invest, think carefully about what risk level you're willing to accept. So, for example, if the stock market plunges in half the way it did in 2008, is that acceptable to you? You know, if so, you can expose yourself to that. If it's not, then you don't. So, you know, if, if you're buying, if you're picking an individual stock um, and the reason that I don't do it is uh, there's much greater volatility with individual stocks than there would be with um, something that passively tracks a, a benchmark. So uh, am I willing to accept that? Mm, no. So, yeah, so I think that that's that's just the uh, and I realize I'm making it sound very simple. Um, it requires a decent amount of education or a right. decent amount of, you know, reading a couple of books about it. Sure. Um, but. Whoa. But it's really more about I mean, it really still is more about mindset. Even if you're you're trying, let's say you're a starting investor. If you go in looking for Zen, I think you're in a better place than somebody that goes in thinking it's going to be a hot up and down. I got to move my stuff all the time. It's got to be sexy. I mean, is that what you're thinking, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think I do think there's a certain amount of, of education that's important and kind of understanding where these returns are coming from and, and that for the most part, it's really not your specific choices beyond kind of how much you have in stocks, how much you have in bonds. It's really just kind of what the markets are doing. So to some extent, you have to know that and you've got to do some research and and have at least an awareness of that going in. And then beyond that, I think it just kind of takes some experience. You know, one of the the concepts that I kind of like is the idea of starting with kind of a middle ground investment strategy. So kind of let's say like 50-50 stocks, bonds, and then, you know, see how you feel when the market's going up, see how you feel the next time it kind of comes down and and adjust. And if you can, do Paula's advice of observing without emotion. Just try to keep that in mind and understand that it, it's all part of the process and register your reactions as it happens and you might need to make some adjustments based on that. But but I do think it takes some experience and, and, and you're not going to be perfect at this going in your first time. Yeah, Paula? Uh, I would say before you before you begin to invest, write down what you'll do. Write, write down a set of rules for yourself. So if you pledge that you will dollar cost average every month, that you'll put the same amount of money into the market every month and that you will rebalance once a year, but otherwise you're in it for the long term. If that's what your pledge is, then write it down because in moments of either joy or sorrow, in, in moments where the market's peaking or the market's tanked, you might be very tempted to, um, 
to deviate from those rules that you set for yourself at the beginning of the game. And and that's when you've really got to embrace this Zen philosophy of telling yourself, hey, this is only temporary. It's okay. I am letting go of this. I just, these are my rules and I follow them and whatever happens, happens. I love that idea because, Matt, in, in the, the CFP world that you know a bunch about, I mean, that's that's an investment policy statement and that's what the pros do. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's abs- that's a that's a great a great tip. What would be really great is if you could have some people that you're accountable to for that. You know, whether it's, you know, like you said in the CFP world, a financial planner, but you can just have if you have some like-minded friends or people that you can kind of all communicate your plans and hold each other to that. That's, you know, keeping yourselves accountable. That can be, I think, a very helpful way to do it as well. Well, I love this because I want to get down to the bottom of of uh, Paula's article, which, uh, Paula, you say, don't discuss your investments with anyone other than a spouse, mentor, or trusted fellow Zen investor. Why is that? Because uh, other people will will react. Um, and humans humans are naturally, we're empathetic creatures. We, we tend to feel what other people encourage us to feel. And so if we talk to somebody and their reaction is one of either panic or celebration, then we may be tempted to fall into that same type of, of groupthink. Let's take real estate, for example. I know a lot of people, like if I have to make a, a major repair or improvement to one of my properties, like a couple of weeks, one of my HVAC units just went kaput and $2,000 later, the problem was fixed. I don't really blink when that happens because I've just accepted that as a cost of being a landlord and that's just par for the course and it's part of the game and these things happen but but there are other people who would be like oh tearing their hair out oh my goodness (laughs) i just had an unexpected two thousand dollar expense what do i do oh no it drove my profits down for the year ah you know yeah um so i just don't even talk about this with anybody because i don't need to hear that i don't need that influence in my life yeah they don't and 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 Go ahead. I just want to say along those lines, like the news is maybe the worst for all of this. I mean, (laughs) you you listen to NPR or whatever, and it's the stock market went up this much or down this much. And this is what the Fed's doing. This is how you need to react. And it's, you know, it's crazy talk. And that kind of information is just going to make you crazy. You know, if you don't have any idea what the stock market is doing right now, I think you're in honestly pretty good shape. <laughs> well, well, imagine if you got on an elevator and your two choices were sore or plummet, which is the way they describe the stock market on TV almost every day, right? Stock market soared right. today or it plummeted. I mean, I everyone's can- rich or everyone's poor. It's just, I mean, it's crazy. You know what I thought of, Paula, when I read this at first, when you talked about the Zen of investing? Uh, if you guys have read David Allen, um, which is, he's a great organizational Mm -hmm. expert about getting things done. Getting things done. I've read that. Yes. Yeah. And he talks about the Zen. The first thing I thought about is, but is you want to be like water where you Mm. can flow the way that, and, and I love what Matt says. You don't want to flow the way the TV tells you to flow. You want to be open to flow the way your goals are going, you know, with your investments. When's, when's the right time to back down the risk in your portfolio? If you're, let's say that you're Zen, but things are going pretty badly. When do you when do you got to pull the ripcord? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it because things are going badly. I would do it only because something fundamental in your own life has changed. So 
it's appropriate to dial to dial down your risk level as you age. Been in a major car accident and it's going to limit your ability to um, to work and to produce an income from this point forward. Okay, that's a re- that's a reason to reevaluate. The market's doing badly. That's that's not in the rules. That, that that's something that you've just got to let go because it's outside of your scope of control. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I will I will say that I think that one of the most important things you can do that and, and this goes right into the the Zen philosophy is just be consistent. But along with that, when you when you start along this path, it's very hard to get it exactly right. And I think as you go through ups and downs, as Paula said, don't necessarily react because the market is up or because the market's down. But if you can't handle kind of the risk level you're at, then that could be a reason to to switch. But it's not a temporary switch. It's a okay, I was I was in too deep. I need to based on my investment personality, kind of be, you know, in a little bit in, in a safer territory. And that kind of adjustment is okay if it's done with a long-term view and if you don't find yourself doing it all of the time when the market's moving. Well, that's just, mm. that's just learning, right? I mean, you should exactly. expect yourself to learn more. That's fantastic. Well, guys, unfortunately, it's all the time we have for that. But thanks for, for bringing it this week, Paula. That was, that's a really cool piece. Oh, thank you. And we, thank will, you. we will link to it on the show notes at Stacking Benjamins. So let's talk about what's going to be on your blog this coming week. Uh, uh, Paula, ladies first, what's happening at Afford Anything? So a few months ago, I announced that my goal is to travel to 30 countries before my 30th birthday. And I'm flying to country number 30. Uh, so I'm going to announce where I am and, uh, and talk, talk more about the, the completion of the 30 by 30 goal. I know where you're going, <laughs> and I'm jealous. <laughs> I uh, I can you can just pack me in a suitcase, Paula. I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh I'll put you in the maybe the the pet carrier, like a cat carrier, and have them store you in cargo. Perfect. That'd be great. <laughs> Only slightly creepy and weird. That's all right. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I've been called worse. Uh, Matt, what's going on at Mom and Dad Money this week? Well, I don't know how to follow that up. That is cool. Um, <laughs> Let's see. I have uh, my wife and I just finished our first car purchasing experience, and I've been writing about that. I've got another installment in my series on on how to kind of navigate that process. And uh, I'm also another very exciting topic. A uh, I have just done my first oil change. I'm becoming a master mechanic. <laughs> And uh, I'm sharing my experiences there, so you can check it out. I love that. I'll link to that on the show notes. And, uh, yeah, changing my oil is – that's something that's important to know so that you know that you really don't want to do it yourself. That you never want to do it again. <laughs> yeah. Like it's funny. When I started off in financial planning, it was back in the days when we could uh, do telemarketing. It was horrible. You would call a bunch mm-hmm. of people you don't know and try to get them to come get advice from you. You know, it was just, it was rotten. I could write a book on that. But this, uh, this one woman was talking about just how hard a job it was. And I remember the manager going, oh, really? This is hard? You're, you're sitting in an air-conditioned room in a suit and you're talking on the <laughs> phone. There are people down in 95-degree heat laying concrete you know right. <laughs> you don't want the job you know not there's anything wrong with laying concrete that's hey that that could be a great job but air conditioning and a little bit of rejection ain't that bad so it's all perspective that's right all right guys well thanks for a great week thank, thank you, you. Jill. and thank you paula
Oh, we did it. Another show. Are you kidding me? Oh, that was easy. Hey, we got to tell everybody, if you missed it this last Friday, we had our first episode of The Short Stack, which appears if you subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, now this week also, OG, we are on the Windows Phone platform, uh, the Windows 8, Windows Phone uh, podcast Sweet. platform. We're also on the BlackBerry app, the now formerly known as BlackBerry <laughs> With their with their sale uh, that happened what last week, and we are also on uh, Tune In, so we're on new platforms every day. So whichever way you like to get us, and by the way, I think we're on just about everywhere now. If there's a way that you want to hear this podcast that we haven't mentioned, you should email me at joe at dot com. But enough about that. For those of you new to the show, you know that at this point, we're done talking about finance and financial planning. And at this point, we're talking about movies because OG and I, we like to go see a flick or two or six or nine. And you saw a good one this week. I think we'll see. We'll hear your review. It's one that I'm going to go see this afternoon. It is called Prison. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Anna, wait until we're invited. Oh, for God's sake, Kelly, get the hell in here. What? He actually sings in the shower. I do not. Yes, you do. Abby, can I take Joy to our house? Wear a hat, please. You're just getting over a cold. Joy, you wear a hat, too. Where are your sisters? I can't find them. Anna? Joy! Wait, I checked the entire house. They're not here. Dad, there was this RV and they were playing on it. There was, there, we thought there was someone inside. So you wait here. Let me go. I couldn't find them! Detective Loki. <laughs> Do you have children, Detective? I'm going to find your daughter. Show me your hands right now! Huh? So prisoners, here's what I loved about prisoners. Everything that you've seen in the previews happened in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Wow, really? So, you know, the, the big worry with that movie, of course, the, the premise is that uh, two children were kidnapped. They look like uh, kids that would be in any, any town USA. There's set in Pennsylvania. And the two dads, and, you know, it's a, this story revolves around trying to find these two kids. There's The detective is in there. Um, his name is Detective Loki. Jake and, Gyllenhaal. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, right? Hugh Jackman is one of the dads. Is that Terrence Howard? Is it that is. who that other? Yes. Good the call. Other, the other. Because I yeah. was struggling for who that was. I'm like, I know that guy. And Maria Bello is one of the women. And I don't, I didn't recognize the other one. Then even full of actors and actresses that that are names and people that you'd recognize. And the story revolves around this, you know, it starts out with this family who goes to their friend's house for Thanksgiving. Girls go outside to play, can't find them. They're presumed kidnapped. And so uh, enter Jake Gyllenhaal's character, and and the story is these two dads and 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 the detective trying to find their daughters and tons of twists and turns and all this other sort of jazz but i love the fact that as you're watching the movie you saw any of the previews you're watching you go oh i saw that that was in the preview oh that was in the preview that was in the preview and then that's all that was in the preview there's nothing else so it's not like so. house uh, what is that called cabin in the woods where they kind of give it away 
Uh, I didn't see that movie, but I hate I hate when you see all the good parts yes. in movies. Yeah, you know, or all the funny parts in previews of. This is not a funny movie. <laughs> no, no, this is a thriller. Um, it is awesome. I think for me, it was my favorite movie of the year so far. Wow, that's saying a lot. What, what do yeah, you like about? I, I don't it? remember what so... was number two, but I walked out of there going. Best movie of the year so far. That was it. So it now just, we got a couple good ones coming up too, by the way. But. Oh, we got a ton of good ones. Uh, yeah. But but it just kept you on your toes. Yes, it's you know it's a thriller, so it's the kind of who done it, and you know you're trying to follow along and stuff like that. So I I really felt like if I would have paid better attention, I could probably could have solved it faster than I did. But I was just there to kind of just soak it all in i wasn't really nitpicky and i I read some reviews about it afterward that were like you know oh well you know they didn't tie up this loose end and this is baloney and i had uh, you know whatever but but uh it's a very good flick for a wide release movie it got a very respectable review especially for this type of movie which generally doesn't get wonderful reviews more of an action type it was uh i think 78 percent on the rotten tomato scale yeah really pretty good the Uh, other good piece hold on the other great piece about this was that they showed the preview to, at least in my theater, they show the preview of a movie coming out called Lone Survivor. And it's based on a book by Marcus Luttrell, by the same title, Lone Survivor, about a Navy SEAL team in Afghanistan. And if you haven't read the book, you have to read the book Lone Survivor. Absolutely, positively, if, there's, if, if you have one book in your life left to read, you have to read this book. Wow. So I'm hoping that they, that they make the movie as good as the book was, but I was excited to see that as well. There's a lot of good stuff coming up between that then and and now, but um, but when I saw that, and that's chock full of good actors too, so that'll be a that'll they, be, if if they stick to the story of the book, which is about this Navy SEAL who, um, he's the only one who survives actually, but hence the lone survivor thing. But wow. but it's about his uh, truth in advertising. A, yeah, it's a. It, I don't get emotional when I watch movies or read books. It's just you know because <laughs> I'm a dude, and uh, dudes don't feel that way, man. But uh, I was telling my brother about it, and uh, and he's like, oh, maybe I'll have to read it. I said, listen, when I read the book, I had to set it down because I was sobbing. Sobbing, like a like a sobber would be sobbing. So great book, Lone Survivor, my two recommendations. Go see Prisoners, and if there's a preview for Lone Survivor, go to the library and pick that up and read it. Your ability with words, I was sobbing like a sobber, just knows no bounds. I know. <laughs> I was sobbing like a, uh, like a guy, like a guy who sobs. Yeah, uh, I got to put in another plug for something uh, that came from this movie, which is the guy in the, like I said, I'm seeing the movie this afternoon, so I don't know what part he really plays, but the guy who's the obvious suspect, the, 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 the guy okay. that's the guy that very little brain, apparently, uh, okay. that guy is in another little movie OG that came out, I think last year, called Ruby Sparks. Ruby Sparks was a really good movie. Uh, He is a he plays the main character. He is writing a story about a girl and he's making her up. And as he makes up the girl, she appears. You know, that Will Ferrell movie where he he, you know, is a part of Emma Thompson's imagination. It's one of my favorite uh, uh, Will Ferrell movies. Yeah. And a lot of people think that this movie is like that because on a very superficial thing it is. But, you know, it's the same type of thing where where she becomes real as he writes her. But the movie about a third of the way in uh, takes a right hand turn. I think I might have even talked about Ruby Sparks uh, back on Two Guys and Your Money a year ago. Uh, I'll look that up and see. This week, I saw a movie that is not out in wide release, and I can't figure out why. My movie is called The Spectacular Now. 
My name is Sutter Keely. I got everything that I need right here. I've got a job, I've got a car, I've got a beautiful girl. I was the life of every party. You gotta live in the moment. It's about this. This is beautiful. Hey. Hey. Where the hell am I? Do you live around here, Sutter? How do you know my name? You go to the same school. Uh, uh. <laughs> I'm Amy. That's what I was gonna say. Nice to meet you, Amy. What's your story? I don't really have any stories. What do you mean? Everyone's got a story. I don't know. I'd like to think that there's more to a person than just one thing. You know, I gotta tell you, Sutter, Amy Finicky, just a strange choice for a rebound. You're 17 years old. You don't have an ex-boyfriend? No. Really? Sutter, guys don't That's look at me like that. I'm like... Yeah, absolutely, guys look at you like no, that. No, no, no. Amy, you're absolutely beautiful. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> and if she falls for you, what happens then? Should we take our shirts off? This is a story about a guy who is in high school, and it's the senior year of high school, and everyone is making plans for what they're going to do after graduation. And he's beginning, at the start of the movie, he is writing uh, his essay on a college entrance exam, and it says, name one hardship you faced. And he's talking about his girlfriend and how they were perfect for each other and how now they're breaking up. And then he leaves that essay because... He can't figure out how to really tie it in. And he is, he's a kid who is stuck at the end of one thing. And you know from high school days, there are people in high school, right? This is the old Bruce Springsteen song, Glory Days. Right. There are people that high school is the greatest thing. And you already know, OG, that high school for this kid is going to be the greatest part of his life. And everything else is going to stink. And while everybody else is moving on, he can't move on. And he doesn't know who, he's got some really messed up problems. He doesn't know who his dad is. He doesn't, he has a huge problem with alcohol monster problem with alcohol he has a girlfriend who he's way more he has way more of a relationship with her than a high schooler should have with the girl um and she knows she knew it which is why she broke up with him and he doesn't know it and so this is it's funny because it takes the old john hughes movies you know like uh 16 candles or or all those movies about the breakfast club Mm -hmm. But it takes it to 2013, and this is more of a gritty movie. It's a raw movie. It is. I was surprised when I saw the running time. It's only an hour and 35 minutes long. I was on the edge of my seat the entire movie. Hmm. And when the movie when the movie ends, I mean, I walked out and I felt like I had I had just been punched in the gut. It was there was so much feeling uh, in the movie. It's by the people that made 500 Days of Summer. 500 Days of Summer is kind of a light, airy movie that I thought was pretty cool. So I thought that, hey, if it's like 500 Days of Summer, Cheryl wants to see it, I'll go see it. So I was expecting this light, breezy thing. <laughs> movie is not light. It's not breezy. Remember a couple weeks ago I was talking about uh, Blue Jasmine and about how in that Woody Allen movie I didn't like the main character. And that was part of my problem is that I like to like the main character. Mm -hmm. I don't like this kid either. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's a high schooler. I've got two kids that just graduated from high school. High schooler with a drinking problem, who can't move on with his life, who everybody thinks is a joke. And you're hoping he'll get it together. But as the movie goes on, OJ, you don't think he's going to get it together. And then uh, uh, he's, he's just a mess. But the difference was there's a little bit of redemption in this kid. So you keep thinking all the way through the movie that may, maybe he's going to get it together. have to say one more thing about the movie. There is 
a girl who plays the main uh, his his main love interest in the movie, not the old girlfriend, but kind of his rebound girlfriend. Her name is Shalane Woodley. She was the oldest daughter, the potty mouth daughter on the movie The Descendants. And she was up for an Academy Award as Best Supporting Actress. She she acted her part well. In this movie, she does the same thing. She, she plays a totally different character, and you just absolutely like her. Uh, I give this movie a big, big, fat thumbs up. The spectacular. Awesome. The spectacular now. You're never going to see it, are you? No. You're sitting here looking at me going, this movie has nothing to do with me. <sighs> Are there gun- you, the one thing that I heard you say was that you're sitting on the edge of your seat. It was an hour and a half long. Prisoners is two and a half hours long, two hours, 33 minutes. And I didn't move. Yeah, I thought this movie, though, it was great. moved well, along very well. It was a great pace. If you were to ask me, and I know this is not going to sound good. This this will not sound good. This this will make the movie sound worse. But I'll tell you, it's not. It's meant as a compliment. If you'd ask me how long this movie was. I would have said two hours and 15 minutes, two hours and 20 minutes. I wouldn't have thought it was an hour and a half, but, but it's, and it's because every second of that hour and a half is so intense and you're just, you're, uh, you're so into the movie. Like the movie started and it was over. But if you asked me how long it was, I went, wow, with all the deep stuff they dealt with, how they dealt with, with all these problems as well as they did in an hour and a half was unbelievable to me. Two and a half hours. Here's what I don't get. My, my, my little idiotic theater in Texarkana, my, my little moronic theater, is, is showing all these dumb movies like five times a day. They're showing prisoners like twice. I can go see it at 3, 10 yeah, in the afternoon or 7 o'clock. What, it's not for the kiddos, though. That's why. I, I just, I don't. No, they're showing that one I reviewed a couple weeks ago that stunk that Mortal Instruments, City of Bones, that piece of dirt movie. They're showing <laughs> right. it like six times today. Um, but the new movie, Prisoners, no, nope, not going to show it at all. Yeah, we're getting into the season of some good flicks coming up, huh? I want to, yeah. I want to see that new racing movie that comes Rush out. Rush comes out oh. this week. Well, it will be out by the time people listen to this. We got the uh, Captain Phillips. Uh, that one with Tom. What uh, a horrible uh, name! Looks like a good movie, but a horrible name. Captain Phillips. Yeah, it's basically Castaway on a boat <laughs> with bad guys. <laughs> bad guys. Okay, so you know how there's Castaway and he's all alone. Well, in this movie is just like it, but he's not alone. And, and Mr. Wilson is the terrorist. <laughs> Mr. Wilson! <laughs> Mr. Wilson! All right, man. That's going to do it for us this week. Everybody have a great week. Coming up on Wednesday, of course, is Two Guys and Your Money. And coming up on Friday, another episode of The Short Stack. See you later, OG. Peace out. This show is the property of the Free Financial Advisor, LLC, copyright 2013. Paula Pant appears courtesy of affordanything.com. It appears I've fallen and I can't get up. Now go eat some nachos and deadlift.
All right. I don't know. I don't know if this story will hold a candle to the story of the hawk last week, but I have another dorky story. You know how on our Two Guys in Your Money episode on Wednesday, we were talking about negotiating. And yeah. I was negotiating for to have two trees cut down. I mentioned there were two dead trees. Mm-hmm. Well, the second dead tree, the second dead tree, actually, I had hired another guy to cut down. And I hired a handyman, and I gave him a few things to do, because there are things that I just cannot, I am not a handy dude. I enjoy working in my garage. I enjoy yard work. There are things that I just cannot do. So I had this handyman do a few things, and I said, hey, do you guys cut down trees by chance? Because I have this tree that ever since I moved in, OG, is like a totem pole. It's right out the back door of my house. It goes straight up and down, and there are no limbs. There are no limbs. That's how well, dead that tree is. Obviously, it's dead. It might be dead. The, the, the trees may be 20 feet tall, and they're, all the limbs are gone. And it's been there forever, and I don't know why I haven't taken it down. Cannot tell you why. Uh, and so this guy, this handyman's over, and I go, Do you take down trees? So, yeah, can you take down this tree too? Great. Well, the particular handyman I was working with, he hires other guys to actually do the work. He comes over, he prices out the job, tells me what he's going to do, and he brings over these two yahoos. These guys proceed to do a really rotten job of the main job I had him do. And then I was gone from home. Big mistake. So was the guy that hired these two guys. They cut down the wrong tree. There is a tree I want to cut down with no arms and legs. There is a tree that just is a totem pole. It's really obvious they cut down a different tree, which had some dead limbs you know, but there were parts of it that were still alive. They cut it down. So, so I call up the guy. His name is John. I call up John and I said, "Hey, John. Hey, Joe. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good." Uh, saw the guys got the work done, and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, yep. They're all done." And I said, uh, "They cut down the wrong tree." And then he says, "Yeah, I saw that." He, he wasn't going to bring it up until I brought it up. Oh, boy. Yeah. And then I know I'm in trouble. I'm like, yeah. So uh, how are we going to fix that, John? And he goes, well, uh, uh, we can't put the tree back up. <laughs> really? <laughs> you don't have your magic wand, John? So here's what I said. I said, okay, well, uh, you got to do something. He goes, I'll tell you what. We have this other job we're working on, but they're waiting for something this afternoon. I'm going to send them back out there. Send him back out there, and I'll do it for free. Great. Okay. Fantastic. I would have been happy. Well, I wouldn't have been super happy, but uh, I would have been fine. So, they, so unfortunately, when they came out, I had to go run an errand, and I came back. And you know where the story's headed, OG? They cut down the wrong tree again. Oh, my God. <laughs> they Are cut you the, kidding me? No. They cut down. Now, as I told on Two Guys in Your Money, I live on a lot where if I said I had 30 trees, that would be less trees than I probably really have. It's a very wooded lot. So there are opportunities to find half-dead trees still all over the place. Um, and there are. This would be, if I decided to do it, this would be a, a tree cutter's dream, a tree trimmer's dream, just going in and cutting all the dead stuff out of a lot of my trees. But, yeah. Dude's cut down the wrong tree. And then I said, okay, I got two trees that were half dead cut uh, down for free. You know, hey, great. But I didn't call them back because I'm... I still didn't get the one. Well, up uh, <clears throat> my uh, 
wife's family owns a cottage north of our house. And in that area, they have a real problem with trees, uh, with a, uh, with the bug oh, that that's destroys that, these, that's destroys that trees. Ash borer deal. Is that the in any bore? event? Um, I was, uh, we were up there this summer. It's amazing to see how quickly trees can just be just completely go, go from healthy, thriving trees to gone dead. And, and, and on my wife's family's property, there's nothing, uh, because they don't have any trees on their property. <laughs> That's the only reason they don't have any, but on the neighbor and the neighbor after him and the neighbor after him. So the three there, the guy was telling me that there are 17 trees that got to get cut down between three properties. And he said, and these are all, these aren't small trees. These are 60 foot trees. These have been there for, you know, a hundred years. And, uh, he said each one costs fifteen hundred bucks. Really, every single one is fifteen hundred bucks. Fifteen hundred dollars. I said, "Well, I got a new business idea. <laughs> I'm going to learn how to chop me down." Actually, I'm not even going to learn how to chop down trees. I'm going to learn how to run a business that chops down trees. Yes. I'm going to hire some guys who know how to chop down trees. We're going to charge fourteen fifty, and uh, I'll pay them three hundred. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ugh. That's not a fun, not a fun deal to get into. No, no. And if you want to hear more about uh, negotiating with tree trimmers, just go back and listen to last week's Two Guys in Your Money show. But uh, that's ugly. So that second tree that I talked about, OG, the one that I'm, I'm getting taken down for free, mm-hmm. well, not for free. It's going to be two trees for 550 bucks. The, right. the second tree is the totem pole. Good. I told the guy, I said, hey, it, it's real easy to identify. Uh, well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning Because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.